Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most heinous, the most high-profile homicides in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season four, murder-suicide cases are discussed and profiled, and on this episode, the murder-suicide of Robert Vacosa is discussed and profiled, and the unsolved shooting murder of 22-year-old Lamel Osby is examined. Now, this whole season, season four, we have been focusing on murders, murderers who have killed, then killed themselves. And so far, the reasons or motives for these, mur- these notorious murder-suicide cases They've ranged from, um, you know, the murderer having mental illness to, I don't want to see you moving on with somebody else to, you know, I can't live with us not being together. The, the killers have been regular citizens with no criminal record. They've ranged from, you know, just being regular people um, to correctional officers to police officers who basically just lost it. Now... For some reason, I don't know, it's like for murder-suicide cases, I don't know why it just seems like um, people that have, you know, experience in law enforcement, they have a high probability of committing these type of cases. I have no idea why, but this episode here proves to be no different. You know, everybody who wants to become like a police officer or some, or have a career in law enforcement, I think it should be mandatory that they they you you just you should have some type of extensive mental background testing i mean you shouldn't necessarily just because you want to be a cop doesn't necessarily mean that you should apply for it or maybe i should say it a better way there should be an annual psychological test that's conducted on an officer's mental states and it should be done annually even after they have already become an officer to make sure that they are still sane or still mentally cut out to do the job, so to speak. Let's examine the tragic case of the fired Baltimore County Police Sergeant Robert Bacosa. Robert, who was formerly known as Robert Brown, had been a police officer with the Baltimore County Police Department for 17 long years after he became an officer in 2004. But it wasn't like he was some type of model officer. Some cops think that just because they have a badge and they have a gun, that they can do whatever the fuck they want to do, regardless of the consequences. They feel like the rules don't apply to them, and they are above the law, and apparently, throughout his tenure as a police officer and sergeant in the Catonsville Precinct, Robert managed to rack up a number of write-ups. Robert had a history of sexual harassment issues with the other female officers, and according to Robert's employee personnel file, at least four times he was investigated for inappropriate actions with female officers by looking at weird, inappropriate videos in their presence and making sexual remarks to them. He was also demoted to two rankings for failing to show up in court, Then he was disciplined for being insubordinate, refusing to be trained, and not performing the required duties of a police officer. 
then in August of 2001, the Baltimore County Police Department finally fired him after he was caught sleeping on the job. This was a move that Robert couldn't take. It was a severe blow to his ego and he just could not accept it. Perhaps Robert already had issues listening to authority and maybe he had that cop mentality and thought that rules and procedures didn't really apply to him because after he got fired from his the police department, Robert decided that everybody was against him and everybody was his enemy, including his estranged wife. The tragic sequence of events started like this. On Friday, November 12, 2001, Robert invited his estranged wife to their home on Pleader Lane in the borough of York County, Pennsylvania to supposedly celebrate her birthday with their two young daughters, six-year-old Amina Vacosa and seven-year-old Gianna Vacosa. Robert's girlfriend, 33-year-old police officer Tia Bynum, also was there. They all had birthday cake and celebrated it and everything. And after Robert put their daughters to bed, he asked his wife to stay over a little longer because he had a special present just for her. Suddenly, out of nowhere, both Tia and Robert grabbed her arms from behind. Robert pulled out a gun, put it to her head, forced her in the basement of her home, of the home, and tied her up. Then, for over 24 hours, she was held captive. She was forced to snort a crushed up oxycodone pill and forced to smoke weed. Robert also took her to a bedroom where he raped her several times. On Saturday, she did manage to speak to her brother over the phone, but as Robert still held the gun on, got the gun on her, she was forced to act normal and pretend like everything was alright and everything was cool. Throughout the whole terrifying ordeal, Robert assured her, promised her, swore to her that if the cops got involved in any way that he would kill her, he would kill their two kids, and he would finish everything off by killing himself. Now hold up. Y'all, this is this is a person who held a badge, held a gun, had a badge and a gun for 17 years as a police officer, and he showed no type of signs of being like, you know, off of it. This is how he felt. Okay. Anyway, so on Sunday, November the 14th, 2021, Robert's estranged wife, Robert's uh, estranged wife, she begged and convinced this fool <laughs> to let her go home to her own house to get some clothes, check her emails and her computer and stuff. Once she managed to signal that she needed help to an employee who worked at Target, she did manage to get away and get to the police while Robert got away in her car. Another police officer drove her to the police station where she was able to tell the police everything that she had endured and to take out a report. On her police report, Robert's ex-wife said that she was beaten and raped by Robert and held captive by him and his girlfriend. She stated that Robert repeatedly warned her that he would rather everybody be dead than him be away from his kids. Her emergency protective order read, and the exact words were, 
My husband and his friend held me at gunpoint and tied me up in the basement. He told me that he would kill me and our children if my family or the police were to come to his home. Now, at 8.56 p.m., a district judge, he signed off on the protective order, which ordered Robert to refrain from abusing his wife, contacting his wife, or their two daughters. The order also kicked him out of their home, the family home that they shared on Pleda Lane. Four minutes later, at 9 a.m., that same district judge signed a search warrant giving investigators access to search the home where they confiscated evidence such as the guns that were in the home, all the ammunition that was in the home, any zip ties that had been used, and any evidence of any drug use that was in the home. They also found out that a rear window had been broken in the house. They found all of this, but Robert and the girls were nowhere to be found. Neither was his girlfriend, Tia. The investigators immediately traced or pinged Robert's cell phone number to see if they could get a location or anything about where he was. And pinging his cell phone led them to the home of his girlfriend, Tia, who also lived in York, Pennsylvania. Once at her house, apparently Robert had abandoned his wife's car somewhere and took Tia's Acura. The investigators traced, they raced to Tia's home and when they did, she answered the door with like her gun on her hip, like she was expecting something. Anyway, I don't know what type of spell she was on to risk it all for this dude, but she did allow the officers to come into her house and do a little search and she did admit that she had been, you know, at Robert's ex-wife's house with his wife which was only four miles away. She was like, yeah. She was like, yeah, we did all celebrate his birthday. And, but she was like, ain't nobody. I mean, we always did celebrate her birthday or whatever, but she was like, nobody took nobody in the basement and tied anybody up. She was saying she had no idea what his wife was talking about. She was like, well, just like, who was this dude? I mean, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. None of this never happened. We celebrated her birthday. We had cake. You know, when I left, everything was fine. Who was Officer Tia Bynum? Let's talk about her for a minute. I mean, she had been with the Baltimore County... 33-year-old Tia Bynum had been with the Baltimore County Police Department as a sergeant for 14 years. Now, Tia had worked in the Criminal Investigations Bureau of Baltimore County's Police Department, believe it or not, the Criminal Investigations Bureau. Her only write-up as an officer had been when she was disciplined in 2013 for crashing her car into a tree while responding to a call. Apparently, she had been in a relationship with Robert. Looks like she sacrificed her entire police career and life and put it all on the line for this dude, which I can't understand. But now after it was determined that she had been assisting Robert, she was suspended from her duties as a police officer. The investigators didn't really have enough evidence to just straight out arrest her right then and there, so they just left and started focusing on Robert. Tuesday, November 16th, Robert accidentally crashes Tia's Acura, driving on rainy roads and ending up overturning the car in a water, basically a watery canal. Robert abandons that car, takes the girls with him, and he finds a camper on the property where he crashed the car and decided to use the camper as shelter for him and the girls. It was cold. It was rainy. 
I know for 100% fact that those girls were crying out for their mother, especially after having just been in a damn car accident where the damn car flipped over. But Robert, he ain't know what to do. He had no real plan, like no real nothing. You just bouncing around with nothing because you can't control your emotions. The next morning, Wednesday, November 17th, the woman who owned the property and the camper she saw like a vehicle that was overturned in the canal on her property and she walked over to investigate further. Suddenly, she was greeted by Robert who was wearing a towel from the waist down. The woman later told police that he stuck a gun in her face, told her that he needed a car and a cell phone. The woman noticed that he had two little girls with him and all three were cold and wet, but she did tie, she did put a towel she took all three of them up to her house and after a Robert assured her that she wouldn't be hurt, she went back out to the car to grab, he went back out to the car to grab his cell phone. Now, as soon as he turned his back, she grabbed her own shotgun, she loaded it and she kept it close just in case. Now, she worried about the little girls though and she asked them, is your daddy going to hurt me? Oh no, they insured me. My daddy is nice. Still, the woman sent the two girls outside with a blanket on their shoulders back to their father. Robert stole the woman's keys to her silver 2014 Volkswagen Jetta, and he stole her cell phone. He, made, he did manage to make small conversation with the woman, telling her that he was a former cop and his ex-wife was testing him, basically because she was trying to take his girls away from him. After he took some clothes and also her house phone too. Yeah, she still had a house phone. I mean, those of us who still remember them, he drove away with the girls in the back seat. Answer me this. How did he think he how did he think this was gonna end? Did you how did he think this was gonna end? What would make him even do this? Did he even have a plan? Like, was he already thinking about killing himself and his daughters? I mean, what the hell was on his mind? Anyway. After he left the woman unharmed and drove off with his daughters in the back seat, the woman, since her cell phone had been taken, she had enough sense to know, like to get on her computer. She logged in onto Facebook, onto her Facebook account. Then she sent her son a Facebook message telling him what had happened and for him to call the police. Her son did just that and the police rushed out to her home. Once the police arrived at her house, they took her statement. They're sweet little girls. If I could have protected them somehow, I tried. I know, but I knew I could not have kept them locked in with me because I'm sure he would have went ballistic. This is the statement that the woman gave to the reporters. Now, the investigators, they pinged that woman's cell phone and the one that Robert had stolen and they found it in the vicinity of the area of Elm Avenue and Lancaster Street in the Red Lion Borough of York County, which is exactly where his girlfriend Tia lived. Again, the investigators raced to Tia's home, but by the time they got there, nobody was there, and Tia's other car, a 2013 Lexus GS350 sedan, was now missing from the driveway. So on Wednesday, on the same day that Tia was now found to be missing, she was, to, she was now believed to be traveling with Robert on the run with him 
and now she was officially suspended from her role as police sergeant. Inside that car that Robert had abandoned, the woman's car, they found her cell phone, a backpack, and a prescription bottle with Robert's name on it. The phone showed that Robert had called Tia several times and she had called him back several times. At a news press conference, a Baltimore County police sheriffs pleaded with Robert and Tia to turn themselves in to bring the girls back at least. You know, they pleaded, speaking directly to Robert, saying, at one time, you were a police officer. In your heart, you know what you're doing is not right. You're a father to these young ladies. Do the right thing, Robert. Bring them back. The police chief also added, Please get these two innocent and precious children to a safe location. We know that you're tired. We want to work with you on a safe and peaceful resolution. Robert's estranged wife was also present at the news conference, and she released a statement saying, I am anxiously awaiting their return. I miss them, I love them, and I need them home. The next day, Thursday, November the 12th, Robert and Tia quickly headed back towards Maryland where they encountered a man. At gunpoint, Robert demanded the the man's car, a gray Ford Edge, and forced the man to drive him, Tia, and his daughters around for a few hours, but eventually they let him go and but kept his car. Later, after the man reported his abduction to the police, the man told reporters for CBS News that after he told them that he was a little tired, they let him go, but he worried about those babies. Robert and Tia's they headed towards Pennsylvania again. How long did Robert think he just keep this up, just driving back and forth, stealing people's cars and just what I mean, honestly, and the real question was, was he forcing Tia to do this at gunpoint or was she like a willing accomplice? And maybe these are questions that we as a public may never have answers to because on that same Thursday around 2.30 p.m., Pennsylvania State Police saw the Gray Ford Edge and they advised to Maryland State Police that they had eyes on the vehicle traveling on Route 418 in southern Pennsylvania near Waynesboro, traveling back towards Maryland. Pennsylvania State Police turned on their lights and their sirens and they started following the car. They tried to pull over the driver after they crossed into Maryland, but not even a minute later, the car swerved off the road and hit a fence before finally stopping in a grass field on Ringgold Road in Smithburg, Maryland, in Washington County, not too far from the Maryland state line. The police officers jumped out of their cars, surrounded the gray car with their guns drawn, and ordered all of the occupants out of the car. They couldn't see inside of the car because of fog or smoke, and the windows were tinted. After the police didn't get an answer or response from anybody in the car, a trooper from the Special Tactical Assault Team element, uh, they decided to shoot through the car's passenger side window. Instead of using real bullets though, they used sponge 240mm rounds to bust the glass on the passenger side windows. Once the officers were able to see inside the vehicle, they saw Tia in the driver's seat and Robert with his two daughters in the back seat. All four had been shot. An investigation later determined 
that Robert was the one who had shot them all before taking his own life, ending the four-day manhunt. Tia, Robert, and his seven-year-old daughter, Gianna, were all pronounced dead at the scene, but his six-year-old daughter, Amina, was airlifted to Meredith's Medical Center near Hagerstown in grave condition, but she also was pronounced dead shortly after. It's believed that Robert shot Tia while she was driving as there were no brake marks in the road to show that she tried to stop. There was nothing to show that she tried to maneuver the car in any way, shape, or form. Inside the car, investigators found a Glock 9 handgun, two 9mm handguns, and an assault rifle. Nobody had any answers as to why Robert just seemingly snapped, but his mother blamed Robert's actions on mental illness. She said he basically snapped after he got fired from his beloved police department. You know, Robert's mother gave a statement to the press that said, when I saw it on TV, believe me, I couldn't believe it. Right now, I wouldn't wish what I'm going through on any mother. My heart is so heavy right now. Robert's mother said she tried her best to reach out to Robert's estranged wife to mediate the situation, but no hope. I mean, I don't know what she thought that was going to do, especially if even she didn't know that he was some type of loose cannon. People always try to blame the ex-wife or the, the baby mother or whatever because their son is a freaking lunatic, but whatever. Robert's mother also said to the press, but them little grandbabies, they were the daughters I always wanted and I loved them and they were good babies and they were loved babies. She told reporters that her son was mentally ill and depressed because the, the, the police department had been showing racial bias towards him. Really? We gonna go there? My son used to tell me about how they treat African-American police from how they treat Caucasian people. My baby snapped and killed himself and his babies. This mental illness is real. People think if you suffer with depression or PTSD, it makes you crazy. You're not crazy. You just need some counseling, maybe some medication. Or maybe you need some therapy, but you're not crazy. This is this is the comment that um, his mother, Robert's mother, released to the press. Now, I'm going to stop it right here. Um, this crime was notorious in the state of Maryland because what? Another police officer can't control your emotions when you don't get your way. And he's been running around for 17 years, basically mentally screwed up. Like his mother said, um, he was depressed or because he got fired or whatever reason. So a dude, he, he's going to set out, he says out his mouth, okay, I don't get my way, basically. I'd rather us just all be dead. What? And you were a cop for 17 years. Really? Um, I... <laughs> It was notorious because, like I said, this was something where I remember this just happened last year. I remember that four-day manhunt. Um, I can't imagine what the mother of these little girls were going through. Um, she could have been easily one of his victims. Um, just another example of a police officer who cannot take rejection, who can't take getting, who... Can't take not getting his way about something. That's such a bitch move, a coward way. First off, to kill yourself and then to take the girls out. And 
but the big question also is still with you know with, what was Tia's role, her role was this a girlfriend and even if this was a girlfriend um why were you celebrating the his wife's uh birthday i mean it, it sounds a little weird all of that sounds a little weird a little fishy or whatever but um what exactly was her role in all of this like was she a willing accomplice or was she being held hostage you know I, I i guess we'll never know we'll never know i mean either way it to me in my opinion i think she was a willing accomplice because she had an opportunity when the police officer showed up to basically admit what happened if she was such a you know in fear of her life or anything like that she could have told them then i don't know it, it's it seems weird this the real victims in all of in this case was the two little girls the two little girls i mean i i can't even imagine spending four days on a run eating who knows what um in a car accident and you at the same time you say what the same mouth you love your daughters weird I, I can't even, and you, a, a Baltimore police officer, wow. Baltimore's finest. This episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 22-year-old Lamel Osby. On early Saturday morning, May 26, 2012, 22-year-old Lamel Osby was driving in the 2500 block of Edgecombe Circle in the Park Heights area of Northwest Baltimore when suddenly shots rang out. Lamel hit the gas but got stuck at the dead end of Edgecombe Circle. Lamel did manage to turn his vehicle around and tried to speed away from the area. The police had the nerve to pull the car over for driving down a one-way street. When Lamel's car finally stopped and his door was opened, he fell out on the street, his body shot several times. Lamel also managed to tell the police that he had no idea who shot him or why anybody would want to shoot him in the first place. Lamel later died after he was rushed to a local hospital. It was Memorial Day weekend and Lamel was supposed to be getting pictures of his son. Instead, his family had to plan his funeral. Lamel's murder completely devastated his family and his mother released a statement to the Baltimore Sun that said he did not deserve to die the way he did. My son was a good guy. He's never been in a fight, never had a quarrel, no enemies. It's just unbelievable what my husband and I are going through but what we don't want is anybody to retaliate in a negative way. I don't want another parent to feel what we are feeling. We want the law to handle it and then God has the last say-so. Lamel's father added, He was my only boy. My heart is sad and broken. Now, Lamel held a steady job and was trying to decide on whether or not he should finish college or join the Navy, but unfortunately, his life was cut short. This is a crime that should have been solved by now, people. I mean, come on. In that area... Nobody saw nothing. Seriously, come on now. My old stomping rounds. It's always somebody outside. I know somebody knows something. Enough time has passed where, come on, do the right thing. Clear your conscience and give Lamel's family some peace. If anybody has any information at all, 
no matter how trivial or mundane it may seem, please call Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100 or you can text them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can send a text message to 443-902-4824 or you can email them at homicidetips, that's tips with an S, at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. Once again, those numbers are Baltimore Cold Case at 410-396-2100. You can call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can send a text message to 443-902-4824. You can email them at homicidetips, that's tips with an S, at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous. And what I mean by that is you can pick the phone up and say, I know blah, 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 blah. Boom. Hang the phone up. Thank you for turning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for all the updates on future spine tingling, hair raising, high profile homicides. Also, for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, unedited, raw truth of how and why I kept linked up with true crime. A lot of people think I just woke up one day and decided to get into a life of true crime and talk about murders and criminals and all this other stuff and run a podcast and write books about this or whatever and I got a murderous mind and stuff like that. (laughs) But this was no overnight journey by any means. And there is definitely a method to all this murdering madness. So also be sure to pay a visit to the new website, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. And Maryland is spelled M-D-S, mostnotoriousmurders.com to get access on all of the episodes for any, for all, all of the four seasons, as well as links to all of the books that are avail- related to this podcast which are Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990 to 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, as well as my local bestsellers, Child of Baltimore and Junkie a Tree Baltimore Story, and the upcoming Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 2009 to 2020. Please be sure to tune in next week where another high-profile newsworthy homicide in Maryland will be discussed, it will be examined, and it will be profiled on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been a Savage Life production.